Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Everybody say healing. Healing, something that we all need. We all are going to come into contact with sickness and sometimes disease. And as people of God, we will all incur seasons where we need that healing. Our prayer focus this week, if you've received your email, is physical healing. And so as people of God, we will sometimes encounter the opportunity to be healed. It's a commonality of life that touches all people and all culture. And we understand that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. However, when sickness and disease do occur, it calls for a new level of trust and commitment to God and to his will. And so no matter how minor or how major the circumstance, we must, hear me, must learn to trust God and his divine plan for our lives and for our future. God promises not only to be our healer, but God promises to be our keeper through every season of life. And as long as we trust him, we can be assured that no matter what the outcome may be, we can always find comfort and hope in him. Brother Bernard preached this last Friday night, the name is in the house. And when that name is present, anything can happen. You can be healed in your body and in your mind, and I'm here to tell you today that the name is in this house, and so if you need a healing in your body, you can leave with that today. And so today, we need to pray together and bind together and commit our lives not just in our sickness but to God with a fresh commitment that accepts his direction, his word, his promises, and his way. We need to ask God for peace as we trust him through his healing touch. And we must seek God to learn in the experience that we may be going through, that he often uses these experiences to teach us something, vital lessons that we can learn no other way unless we're willing to hear and listen and learn. Jeremiah 17 and 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. And so no matter what situation we find here today, we must understand that God has a will, God has a purpose, and he has a perfect plan for our lives. And so today, let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices and commit ourselves to him that no matter what the outcome, Lord, we're here, God, to call upon your name. We know that your name is here, and we know that your power is present, and God, we know that you are here to heal. And so we're asking you now, to give us divine direction. Give us a, a sense in our lives to commit ourselves toward you. Give us peace.
peace, Lord, through the process and help us to ground our faith in your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to seek you with everything we are, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Help us, Lord, to learn of you. Help us, Lord, to be still and hear the voice of the Lord that cries out in that still, small voice. Lord Jesus, we ask you now to let healing virtue flow through this building. God, let it flow through everybody. God, let your healing restore and renew in our absolute trust and our dependence upon you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come on, clap your hands to the Lord and thank him for everything he's going to do in Jesus' name. Name. Let's continue to worship the Lord for just a moment. Let's step into what God has for us today. If you're in this house today and you need a healing, the healer's in the house. The healer's in the house today. Hallelujah. Oh, we magnify your name, Jesus. Bless the name. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a wonderful privilege to be in the house of the Lord today and to magnify the name of the Lord. How many is glad you're in church today? Praise the Lord. Brother Chris has already made mention of Brother Bernard's message Friday night. I implore you, if you were not able to be there, if there's ever been a message preached on the name, there was a message preached on the name Friday night. Amen. It's good. It's good. Praise the Lord. This morning we're going to continue in our series. I know you've seen these speakers and you thought that I come up here to sing, but we have the McGuire's here this morning and going to sing, as Brother Chris said, some Southern gospel. Amen. You know, I believe when we get to heaven on the streets of gold, we'll be speakers like this, blaring Southern gospel. And at the end of the street, there's going to be a sign that says, anybody that wants David and Giants and all this other progressive stuff, it's out back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. This morning, we want to continue in our discipleship series, Making Sense of Suffering. How many like to suffer? My Lord, this is a subject that sometimes we don't like to talk about, but it's inevitable, ladies and gentlemen. It's life. It's life. But in this suffering, in this suffering, I'm thankful to know that God, is with us. He's with us, and I'm thankful for that. If you'll turn to your Bible this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14. You know, although the reality of suffering seems to be at odds with a, with a good God, you, you know, the question is posed. I had an a individual at our prison ministry several months ago. He come to me and said, Brother Jerry, how is it that y'all preach about a loving God and a good God and a God who understands, but he's a God that's going to send people to hell. And I said, you, you've totally misunderstood 
what the word of God says. God's not sending anybody to hell. He's made a way of escape. And he's given us a free will and a choice. And if you're here today and you're unsure about your future or your eternity, I'm telling you, you've come to the right place. Because there's a God who understands. There's a God who's with us. And there's a God that, who can save us. And he, that God, Jesus Christ, participated in our suffering through his death on the cross. If you have Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, say amen. amen. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Father, I love you. So thankful for the privilege to be in the house of the Lord this morning. God, I'm asking you to help us to lay aside every weight. God, every distraction that would disturb us this morning from your presence moving into our spirit and in our mind. And I'm asking for the anointing of God to rest on this congregation, that you would touch us as a people and minister to us on individual levels as you, only you can do so. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, God is with us. Praise the Lord. There was a little girl who had been playing outside all day, and she knew that it was time for her to come home for dinner. But, However, there was an unexpected delay that made her late, and her mother was quite upset with her. So she demanded to know where this little girl had been and said, Why? Why are you late for dinner? The little girl looked at her mother and a pure innocent expression on her face and replied, I stopped to help my friend Janie who had a bicycle accident. Her bike was broken and she needed me. Her mother sort of looked quizzically at this girl and she said, but sweetheart, you don't know anything about fixing bicycles. And she said, I know, came the reply. But I know Janie and I stopped by this morning to help her cry. In history's greatest act of love, God manifested himself in flesh. And he came to this earth as Emmanuel, God with us. He saw that we were broken and that we were in need of repair. And in his love and compassion, he came to us to be with us, to cry with us, to, to suffer with us. And he gave his life for us that we might experience healing even through our brokenness and freedom from our sins. Jesus himself came alongside to participate in our suffering with us. He cries when I cry. He grieves when I grieve. He mourns when I mourn. Jesus walked among us and he laid down his life on the cross to purchase our ultimate victory over suffering. Philippians 2 and 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In other words, Jesus took the pain for us. And sometimes we can help others when we help them 
bear the load. Your testimony of perhaps what you have been through in life might be the very thing that saves the life of someone that comes through those doors. Just last Sunday in our generation to generation, what powerful testimonies that we heard of real experiences of life. And I believe they went forth helping someone. You know, human suffering is such a painful thing and we should do all that we can to eliminate it and stay away from it. Get away from painful suffering. Or should we? Does any good come from it? What good can come from suffering? Is it too radical of an idea to think this morning that suffering can be an instrument for positive change in God's hands? What if, what if there are some good things, some basic things, some character qualities that can be acquired only through suffering? And what if without suffering we will never be the people that God wants us to be? You know, if, if you had a choice this morning of to suffer or not to suffer, most people would choose not to. But I think sometimes there are some things that we may miss out on in life, some character-building qualities that come with suffer. If there was ever anybody who deserved not to suffer to develop character, surely it would have been Jesus Christ himself. But it is written, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This remarkable statement is, is followed by another. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. The word perfected there can be misunderstood. In the Greek, that means to mature or be in maturity. So if we know from Scripture it was necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer, to learn obedience and to be perfected or to be mature, we can be very sure it would be necessary for you and I to suffer. And there is no shortcut for this. Book learning will not teach us how to suffer. We need important virtues, and it's going to require some tr training and some painful experiences. There are some people in this house, under the sound of my voice, who has been through some things. There was no how-to manual that was handed to you. There was no step-by-step -step program. And those testimonies that we heard again last Sunday, the, the testimonies of real-life experiences, there was not a book supplied for that to deal with it. It's God with us that helps us. In Jesus' case, his experiences of suffering were not only for his benefit in learning and gaining maturity, they were also for us. As he endured the cross, despising the shame, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, bearing the sins of many. So we know that we serve a God who manifested himself in flesh, come to this earth, paid the price on Calvary to wash away our sins. Now I can't help but think, and in my small infinite mind, that when I'm praying or when I'm meditating, if we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning, if I could say it like this respectfully, if God himself was to come this morning and give a parent a choice, I'll use my mother as an example, and that way I'll be sure not to offend no one. If God give my mother a choice and he let her see the beginning of my life and all the heartache, all the hardship that I caused her, 
Would he give her a pass? Could she say, I don't want that one. I'll pick another. And while I think of it from that concept, and I think about a, a God who knows the end from the beginning. And if I could use myself this morning as an, as an example, who saw a, a boy at a young age who would give his whole heart to the Lord, who loved the Lord, but as he grew and as he become in his teenage years become rebellious to, to God, to the church, and to his family. If I serve a God who knows the end from the beginning, what kind of love would it take for him to still say, you know what, I'm going to breathe life into him anyway. I'm going to love him anyway. We serve a God. There is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Jesus Christ, but Jesus is not only human, he is also God, and therein lies the mystery. Paul pointed out in Timothy 3.16, but it is a mystery that we accept by faith. This is a walk of faith. The mystery does not involve a plurality of persons in God, and it's, it is about how God could add human existence to his deity. Since Jesus is both divine and human, Stay with me now because we need to get this this morning. This is, he's not only a high priest, he is the great high priest. And a priest must be one of those who represents to God. So before Aaron could offer a sacrifice for the children of Israel, he first had to offer a sacrifice for him and himself. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. He was the lamb. By means of incarnation, Jesus stands in solidarity with us. And since the first century, there have been many views of Christ's persons having erred in both in a denial or a compromise of his deity or his humanity. But scripture teaches us that since human beings partake of flesh and blood, the Messiah shared in the same. In other words, Jesus Christ did not have some unique flesh. He did not have some unique blood. There was nothing different about him in that sense. He was not created by God outside of Mary's womb and just somehow deposited within her. She was not some sort of incubator. Mary was a real mother, just like mothers in this house who carried that child for the period of time. And Jesus shared in the same flesh and blood. Paul wrote that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now pay close attention to that sinful flesh. How is that possible that Christ, Jesus Christ himself, conceived by the Holy Ghost, could come in sinful flesh? If he had said Jesus was made in the likeness of flesh, he would have compromised Christ's humanity. So he said Jesus was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, thus preserving both his humanity and his sinlessness. Some think if Jesus were just truly human, he would have a sin nature. But I want to take us back to the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were first created upon this earth. There was no sin. There was not a sin nature. And at that time, there was no sin nature. And the fallenness of man, it's a mar, or it is a mark on human nature. In this sense, Jesus is more human than you and I are. Amen. He is more human than you and I are, for our humanity is marred, or we're marked. We come into this world born a sinner. 
But Jesus was, if I may say it like this, the last Adam. He was spared from the sinful nature by the miraculous power of the virgin birth in the Spirit of God. The Messiah's identification with human beings is complete. He was made like us in all things, the Hebrew writer said. He is able to aid those who are tempted. The Hebrew scriptures speak to both the Messiah's deity and his humanity. Hebrews 1 and 8 affirms the deity of the Son, and Hebrews 1 and 9 declares his humanity. So we can be certain that this was in mind of the Jewish disciple who had previously declared, he said, I will not believe in the resurrection unless I can see or touch. He needed something tangible. Thomas wanted to see something real that he could put his hands around. And in that moment of time, however, he was moved beyond doubt and beyond belief in the resurrection along. And he identified that the risen Jesus as the God of Israel and as his Lord and God. In at least 30 places in the New Testament, it uses the words Lord and God in the same verse. So there is no question that both words refer to the same. The Lord is God, and the God is Lord. Jesus, contrary to popular belief, he, he did not rebuke Thomas for his confession. Now, had Jesus been anyone less than God, had it been Jerry standing there, I'd have wanted to cut Thomas's feet out from under him for doubting me. But we're talking about a God of the universe who saw an opportunity for a place in history and had Jesus been anyone less than God he could not have neglected this rebuke not only did Jesus not rebuke Thomas but he commended him for his faith Thomas had just expressed and pronounced a blessing on all who came to the same faith even though they had not seen him in his resurrection that's why we find in John 20 and 29 blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and that is us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is God with us. As Joseph slept, praise the Lord. As Joseph slept, troubled by the implications of the fact that Mary was expecting a baby, and rightly so, he, he had a dream. And in this dream, an angel of the Lord said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife or that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she will bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins it is significant that the Messiah was to be called Jesus for that name means Jehovah Savior and the name has the same meaning as the name Joshua many people in the biblical names had this name just as they do today but Jesus Christ was the only person ever given this name by divine appointment. The recognition is that Jesus is the Jehovah, the one identified himself as the Savior. But another name appears in Matthew 1 in fulfillment of the book of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated or interpreted as God with us. Why the two names? Joseph would call him Jesus. That was his proper name because the name identified with Mary's baby and who he would be. But he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And biblical thought names were not mere labels, especially when given by God. And in the Bible, when you had a name, it really meant something. Names had functions. They described essential identities and characteristics. For example, Jacob. When we're first introduced to Jacob, we know that he is a deceiver and a supplanter and a liar. But after an encounter with God, he gets a name change. So names have significant meaning and nothing was changed when Jesus come on the scene. Part of our calling in this Christian way of life or this Christian walk is to suffer. And again, I know that we don't want to talk about this and this is not a popular subject, but because Christ also suffered for us, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. This includes suffering for doing good. Biblical history and church history are filled with accounts of people of faith whose response to suffering resulted in spiritual growth. So what I'm saying this morning is we're given the opportunity through our suffering. We can develop a negative attitude and say, why God are you allowing this? God, why would you put, if you love me, why would you put me through this? Or we can stand on the shoulders of some of our heroes of faith and say, you know what, God? I don't understand why I'm going through this. God, I don't know why I'm having to deal with this, but through this, I'm going to hold to the promise that you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. And on the other side of this, I'm going to use this as a testimony and I'm going to help someone. Our suffering, if we'll take the right approach, our suffering, ladies and gentlemen, advances the kingdom of God and it helps the kingdom of God. In closing, as our musicians come, there are people and stories of all natures who have used their suffering to advance and to help the kingdom of God. And this can be seen in events like the following story from the late brother Benny de Merchant. He was a missionary and he'd done some work in Brazil. This is a story of an elderly lady by the name of Oswaldina, a faithful lady in a jungle church that had no pastor. It seemed like the end of the world when I arrived in my Cessna float plane and ministered, Brother DeMerchant recalls. It seemed that small work had no future without a trained worker. And then from the congregation came this little woman, Oswaldina. The baptism of the Holy Ghost changed her life. And she bubbled with enthusiasm. Her husband was unsaved and her older daughters were not interested in this way of life and this newfound faith. Even her local priest at her previous church warned her about leaving the church and following this way of life. But one day as Oswaldina traveled the river in a small boat prepared by a shaft-driven inboard diesel marine engine, she bent over to pick up something off the floor of the boat. The turning shaft caught her long hair and it scalped her leaving only the shining bone of her head from her eyebrows to the nap of her neck. Doctors tried to graft the skin to this open area, but it would never heal. So from then on, she wore a towel wrapped around her head to protect her scalp from the tropical sun, from the flies in the daytime, and the mosquitoes at night. But she was always smiling and always praising the Lord. She would carry an umbrella in one hand and 
trudge over a mile in the rain, wading through mud holes while shepherding her small grandchildren along the town's torn up streets that rain left impassable for vehicles. She wanted to be on time for church. Brother the merchant was so discouraged. A trespasser had erected a fence on the church's lot. A thief stole his aviation fuel and he had to mix some auto fuel with aviation fuel just to get back home. And so Brother, Brother the merchant said, there's no work to even continue here. And he said, I, I can't even take this no more. I'll never come back to this town. The next morning, Brother DeMerchant heard Oswaldina singing praises to God as she washed her clothes by hand in the brown water of the Jura River. She said, we're going to pray that you'll have a safe trip back to Manaus and that you're going to get the fuel and that you'll be back to us. And she exclaimed, and Brother DeMerchant told her he was going to give up on the church and he would not return due to the theft of the fuel. Brother DeMerchant on his flight home thought, here I am, big, healthy, North American, and here's Oswaldina, a frail, sick woman, but working diligently in the kingdom of God and still singing the praises of the Lord. Within two weeks of his departure from the miraculous hand of God, there was a series of unusual events that occurred that resulted in the donation of enough fuel to allow Brother Benny the Merchant to fly for years back into Oswaldina's town. Years later, and hundreds of miles downriver, a well-dressed woman walked up to Brother the Merchant after he preached and said, I am Oswaldina's daughter. God found me and my husband, and we're in the church today. Oswaldina, who could forget the frail little grandmother, her scalped head wrapped in a towel, who trudged through the mud with three small grandchildren because she refused to be late for a prayer meeting. As we stand across this house this morning, we can see from this story what the prayers of Oswaldina walked because of this simple fact that God was with her. And if you've heard nothing I've said today, I ask you to keep this in mind that no matter what you go through, no matter what you face in this life. Now, this, this hinges on a, on, a, on a contingent that we have a relationship. I can't expect to face a problem and when I face the problem, call on God if I hadn't been calling on him since then. I can't, ex I can't expect to just float through life without any type of relationship and when something goes wrong, cry, God, where are you at? This is hinged on the basis of a daily relationship with God. And when we have that relationship, when we have that promise from the Father, as I said earlier, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, when we go through this suffering, when we face this trial or this adversity, we can know rest assuredly sure that God is with us. He's walking by our side and when we get out to the other end, he will make a way of escape for us. Can we lift our hands across this house this morning and magnify him and thank him for his presence today? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.